Uh, for those who haven't met me, uh, my name is Anthony. Uh, some people call me Abs or AB, and I'm one of the staff here at the Chapel Sydney. So if you're new here or if you're just checking out our church, welcome. Uh, for the past few weeks during our month of spring sowing, we've been looking at what does it mean to put God's kingdom first. And I hope that this series has been putting you in a position of discomfort, uh, maybe even challenged you in some ways. And I'm excited to finish up this series before we all leave to Cambodia. So now before we begin, I've asked one of our mission team members, June, to come up and share a bit about how God has been working during this preparation and how she's been learning to put God's kingdom first in her own life. So I know she may be a bit nervous coming up to speak, so let's just give her a round of applause as she comes up and shares with us. Hello everyone, um, my name is June and if you haven't met me, um, nice to meet you and welcome to church. Um, yeah, um, today I just want to share um, how God's been working in my life and yeah, how, how I put um, God's kingdom first. I used to think that um, I wasn't good enough, I was too broken, sinful and struggled with so many things even after becoming a Christian. I kept searching for something, and I found it in God's peace. But after I got baptized, big parts of me still kept walking the same path, the path to destruction. I was still taking control of the steering wheel instead of giving it to God. I tried with my own willpower to stop my struggles, to be more like Christ, and to transform myself. I used to perceive other people at church that they have got their life together, and I just couldn't truly fit in because of my past and my recent struggles. This lie has tried its way to stop me from serving God or even come to Him. But because of God's grace, through people in the chapel, I found God's calling. Starting from the passion and love I have for working and caring for children. And again, it's truly from God. Otherwise, I wouldn't have this much patience for them. This heart is what God has been building for me. The church and garden, the student ministry, have accepted me regardless of my flaws. And that's the first step that I started seeking God's kingdom first. I have chosen to follow what God has planted in me, the gift that he has given, that I do for a living for many years. Now I get to do it in God's house, to share his love, his story, his word, planting it in God's children. There are days, though, weeks, that I get tired from the challenges in life or shouldn't at work, but I can come to God for strength, knowing that there will be joy in the life of his children here, the joy of singing praise to God together and sharing God's love with one another. When I signed up to mission, I doubted myself again if I would do it, and the strongest block was, would I be good enough for the team? Would I be good enough regarding my energy cap from work, my laziness, inconsistency, and my journey fighting and healing from trauma and addiction? And Pastor Mel said that one thing that I have overlooked, God's grace. And that was it, a light bulb moment. The answer I was wrestling and asking God, even though I have heard of God's grace many times before, 
I have learned through submitting my life, my choices, my ways to Him, and He has been teaching and showing me through the work He has done in our life as we witness in one another through mission training that my struggle are not my identity, but my identity is given to me by God's grace, the finished work of His beloved Son, no matter what I have done, the mistake I have made, my, my past shame has been taken up and carried on the cross by Jesus. My sins have been forgiven by the sacrificial blood of Christ. As Christ has died and was raised to life, he also raised me from the dead to life in him. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I give thanks to God that his grace is enough, and his work on the cross has paid it all for mine and my loved ones, that I can find joy regardless and only he can give me this joy, and nobody can take it away. I give thanks to God that I don't have to run anymore. I don't have to run, or, or I don't have to run and hide, or run to chase the things of the world, or run to find someone to hold me. But I can run to Him, our fortress, our Father, our fortified tower, our cornerstone, our God, our Savior. I'm a broken vessel that has been seeking and using things of the world to fill and fix the broken-hearted and broken soul. But there's nothing in this world can wholly and truly fill and fix me. No idols, food, alcohol, intrigue, or other love that will eternally satisfy my soul except Christ. He accepts me a sinner that is so broken by the things of the world and my own choices. He heals and mends this broken vessel to be filled again and be able to stand and pour out his love to other people around me. It is not because of who I am, but it's because of who he is and what he has done for us. Thank you. Well, what a, thank you, Jen. Uh, what a testimony. Um, Right now, uh, I'd like to open up the word with you guys. Uh, so Matthew 13, or Matthew 5, 13 to 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to get them out. Um, otherwise, they'll be up on the screen in front of you. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. And for those who have your Bibles out, I would highly encourage you to just keep it in front of you because I will be referring to it during the sermon. So, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
that I may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Now, this is the start of one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it goes from Matthew 5 all the way to chapter 7. And here's a picture of what it could have looked like back in the days. So he goes to a place called Galilee, and he's teaching, he's talking, he's healing, he's ministering to the large crowds. And afterwards, he goes up a mountain, and he sits down, and his disciples follow him up to the mountain, and then Jesus starts speaking. And what Jesus does in this sermon is that he tells his disciples, this is what it looks like to be my follower. This is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Make sure you vote in October, by the way. And this is what it looks like to put my kingdom first. So what does it mean to live as God's people in this world? And this passage tells us two things about what following Jesus looks like. So number one, salt. So verse 13 says, you are the salt of of the earth. Now for fellowship time, I ask you, what do you use salt for? Uh, Some of us would say that salt is used for seasoning. Uh, It's a necessary part of our diet and maybe even to preserve meat. But back in the days of Jesus, salt was used for a few more things. Did you know that people got paid in salt? Imagine working in 95 and then you're being handed a pouch of salt. And I know it sounds weird, but it was because getting a pure bag of salt was hard work. So people got seawater, and they spent days evaporating it in these salt farms, as you can see in a picture that I'll put up. And because it wasn't pure salt, seawater had plenty of other things in it. That's why it took even more work to get it out using distilling and leaching to get this pure form of salt. And because it was so hard to get and because it was so valuable, people used it as a commodity at exchange in the Mediterranean. And not only that, because there were no refrigerators back then, salt was used to preserve meat and other foods. And putting salt in meats and other foods, just like now, it helps it last longer. And knowing all that, oh, on top of that, Salt was used as fertilizer in soil as well. So knowing all that, um, we can tell that salt was very valuable and it was very important. And with that in mind, Jesus says we are to be the salt of the earth. And one of the weirdest things I remember about my grandfather was that he put salt in everything. And one day I saw him put salt in chocolate milk. And yeah, I know that sounds a bit weird, but it actually did make sense because how he explained it was that he puts salt in chocolate milk because it takes away the bitterness of the chocolate. So he actually made the chocolate milk sweeter. And here Jesus is saying, people who put my kingdom first has so much value and is so useful for so many things in this world. Uh, But then here, Jesus also says a warning. The rest of verse verse 13 says, But if salt 
loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So how can salt lose its saltiness? It can't, unless it's mixed with other stuff. So what does it mean? Jesus is saying, my disciples know who I am. And if Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, he means that my disciples, who put my kingdom first, will always have an influence to those around them. So there's no question of whether they're being salt or not, because the spirit that works will produce that in them. And then he calls out those who aren't being salt, those who aren't putting God's kingdom first. I think we all have a Pharisee in us. Nobody wants to lie or deceive or to be seen as greedy. I don't think any of us wakes up one morning and goes, I'm going to lie and I'm going to deceive. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we say we follow Christ, but nothing in our lives show it. Sometimes we can think of church just as a Sunday thing. And I can do whatever I want in the other times. But Jesus says to this, no. My disciples know who I am. And my sheep follow me. And we can know that in God's kingdom, that there's no room for half-hearted or lukewarm Christians. And number two, light. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. We are called light. And it's our greatest compliment, but it's also our greatest responsibility. Light was often used as a symbol in the Old Testament for a few things. It symbolized purity, it symbolized truth, knowledge, revelation, and hope. So when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, it's a huge compliment to us because Jesus said in John 8 and John 9, I am the light of the world. And he, Jesus, says, you are the light of the world. Just like how I am light, you are also light. What a compliment. You are the light that shines in the darkness. You are the light that brings hope in a world that does not know him yet. You are the light that brings truth and revelation in places that are resistant and maybe even hostile to the gospel. So people who put God's kingdom first shine with light. But then Jesus continues, verse 14 to 16, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead put it Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus is saying, my people cannot be hidden. The light that you get is so bright that you just can't hide it. And it's not just about the message that we're taking, but the life that we're living. The joy, the freedom, the radical unselfishness, the way we love those around us. Honestly, I could share so many stories 
in our church where people went above and beyond, sacrificing their time, their money, even their own possessions to help those around us. And we, the Chapel of Sydney, are not here because of the amazing sermons or the best parking spots, but because of the generosity and the grace of God expressed by the heart of his people. And here's the question to you guys. When people look at you, are you that town on a hill? Are you that lampstand that gives light to those around you? Or are you keeping your light hidden? I don't think Jesus is saying, do this, do that, or you need to do more. But he's saying, once you know me, once you know the love of God, once you put your trust in it, there's a spark. Something clicks. Something happens that you just can't take your eyes off it. And for those that don't know, I love taking photos. And here's a photo that I took a few months ago. And I'm not a morning person, but this is one of the few times where I wake up early. And when you see a sunrise, um, there's something about it that you just can't take your eyes off it. When you get there, it's cold, it's dark, and as the sun slowly comes up, the light slowly comes out, there's colours that you don't normally see, there's shades of blue, shades of pink, shades of yellow, and as the sun hits the horizon, the light hits the water, hits the rocks, and you feel the warmth of the sun. And it's amazing. You just can't take your eyes off it. And when people look at us, they should be able to see the light that God gives us. They should be able to see us and go, wow, there's promise of hope. There's promise of a different life. There's promise of a life free of sin and death. And there should be something about the way we live and the way we love others that brings light and clarity in their world. So to wrap this up, we know Jesus said you are salt and you are light. My people who put my kingdom first shine and give flavor to those around them. And in light of that, How can we live out this identity of being salt and light? Three things. Number one, be in the church. One of the greatest gifts that God gives to us in this life is the church family. And we know that Christians aren't meant to do the Christian walk alone. We need guidance, we need encouragement, and we need teaching. And if you think you're doing just fine on your own, scripture tells us that we are fooling ourselves. But whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or know it or not, we all have a natural tendency to drift away from God. And if we're called to be the salt and light of the world, the church is the training center and it's the place where you encounter and experience God whether it be worshipping together on a Sunday, whether it be reading the Bible, 
with someone around you. Or whether it be in your life groups or your ministries or the conversations with other Christians who are on the same journey as you are. We find the church to be the place where we grow in our love for God and each other. And I love our church. I love that it's a place where people are accepted, where people are challenged, and people are encouraged. And if you're struggling, if you're struggling in your faith, and if you're not sure whether or not God is real, I want you to know that God sees you and God cares for you. And I would love for our church to be a place where you can meet and encounter God and help you along in this journey to getting to know him. And number two, be in the world. And I think there's one thing that I need to make clear, that as long as the world does not know Jesus, we are going to be ridiculed and even persecuted. And when that happens, we tend to want to withdraw and retreat, go to someplace safe and comfortable. But Jesus calls us to be the salt and light of the world. And I'm just going to read you guys a quote. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of mission. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. So going off the previous point, as we grow in our love for Christ, we begin to care about what he cares about. We begin to see people as he sees them. And we become more passionate to share about it with others. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I was so excited to share about God with all my friends and family. I remember thinking about ways to invite them. I remember thinking about ways to share what God is doing in my life because I really wanted them to see that too. And we can see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, people in my kingdom have an important role to play in this world. And it's not to stay within the comfort of our lives and the comfort of the church, but it's to be in the world to bless those who persecute you, to bring flavour into the world, to shine a light in their darkness. And that's why there's no such thing as a private Christian. And it's easy to read this and go, I don't want to. I've got to be different from the world. That's why I've got to be apart from the world. But Jesus is saying, it's because you are different from the world. That's why you should be out there. That's why you should be out there making a difference. You should be out there showing them the love of God. Just showing them that the li- you are the living testimony of the fact that God is real to a world that does not have that light. And lastly, make room for God. And I know throughout the spring series, through Pastor Mel and Missionary Jun's sermons, through the testimonies, through the prayers, through the Bible studies we've had in life groups, I felt like that was the thing that just kept coming up. Make room for God. If you make room for God, you will find that God is always moving 
and he moved in a mighty way. Missionary Jun shared last week when he gave room for God to provide for his missionary work, when he made room for God to work in his workplace, God provided and more. We hear Janice, Min, and June's testimony the past few weeks, and by giving God room to move while they were preparing and going to Cambodia, that God works in their hearts, and that they grew in their heart for God and his people. And I can say that this team that's leaving on Saturday, that even though the three months of preparation has not been easy, that it's been so encouraging to see God moving in each and every one of their lives. And seeing that firsthand gives me another reminder that God is good. So I want to leave this with you, friends. Are you ready to make room for God in your life? Yeah, you may not feel like you're good enough. Yeah, you may not feel like you're ready. Sure, you might be busy filling up with other things. Or you're fearful about the world and what people around you would say. But when we hear these testimonies, when we read God's word, as we exist in the church and as we exist in the world, we see that when we make room for God, when we allow God to work in our lives, God moves. And the salt and light is not an action you take, but a life that you live. Let's pray.